Did you know? Storytelling is a fundamental human need. It's even ranked second only to nourishment. So the, you know, the air we breathe, the food we eat, the water we drink, second only to those things. It's even before love and shelter. If you go back 35,000 years, cave paintings, that's a, that's a form of story. Writing appeared about four or 5,000 years ago, another form of story. It's been with us a very long time. My name is Saul, Saul Cambridge, and with me today is... Hannah Lindbeck. And today we... Uh, we cheekily have thought we'd be our own guests, haven't we? So we're digging into a, into this amazing topic, which we also know is getting a lot of attention, right, on a global scale. As you just spoke now, what came up for me was also this, I've heard this about evolution, that uh, throughout time, of course, as a species, we have actually evolved because we've listened to each other's stories. So the idea of using stories, using anecdotes, using using examples or metaphors or or, or analogies even in presentations is becoming... That's kind of a, becoming a known fact, isn't it? Knowing you as I do, there's going to be something behind this. So <laughs> where, where does this thinking of yours come from? Like what, what's beneath this? I bet you there's something. There's this material. It comes out of the US of A, of course, and it's based on the work of two very kind of celebrated and very um, uh, well-established coaches over there. Their names are Janine Mancusi and Lisa Danley. And these two ladies, I think it's about 20 years ago, they developed this work and it's called Great Story mm-hmm. Coaching. And we're going to dive into that in a second, like picking it apart and understanding what it means. But the ladies actually have used this uh, as a kind of coaching methodology for some years. I would argue it's even more than that. It's like a philosophy. It's also a skill set that we're going to we're going to we're going to make it into an ergo ego skill set for sure. The stories we tell ourselves actually can shape how things go, mm-hmm. right? And this is, of course, this could take us into the the field of like personal development or any individual kind of picking that thought up mm-hmm. in any strand or any part of their life. But of course, what we're going to be doing is also applying this, as usual, to our corporate uh, or or to our uh, organizational or NGOs or, or you know, the contexts that we normally find ourselves in in Ergo Ego. So again, we're going to be pointing towards communication intelligence, Cheeky question then at this point. Could we get you to start with a story? Yeah. <laughs> oh, why don't See you? See what I did there? <laughs> Gosh, you're good. Um, what actually happened was that as I was preparing for this podcast today, in through my door yesterday comes this person that I'm supposed to be coaching. And, uh, uh, you know, we've seen each other for like several years and I've met him always as a kind of, he's driven, he's ambitious, he's on top of things, he can take a challenge, you know, he's brave, very brave. Um, and he's been given a lot of responsibility despite quite a young age. This is not in Oslo, this is actually in, in Copenhagen, in, in, in still in Scandinavia. Um, but anyway, he sits down and he's like, Oh my God, I just, I just, I'm not getting on with this person and she really doesn't get uh, what I'm trying to teach her. And, you know, it's just too much for me. I don't know what, to, I don't know how to make this relationship work. And this is like completely a different mood from where I'm used to like meeting this person. So I just kind of roll with it and I go tell me more. And uh, before he's finished, he's like, even the, the you know, I, I don't like my flat anymore. My, my, my workout studio where I go working out, it's like, people are so weird. I don't know what to do. It's like, everything has <laughs> to change. I should be laughing, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but it's very, very recognizable, yeah. right? So 
Well, yeah. Why are you laughing? Tell me what what is the laughter? What are you experiencing yeah, as I say that? Because I recognize, recognize myself even in what you just said there. <laughs> yes. Well, actually, you know me well enough. Don't we just? <laughs> don't we just? Of course, I never go there, but you go there. I go there. No, it, <laughs> it, it, was, it was just that tough truth that when we uh, meet those challenges in our own heads, mm. in, in this case, say in our own day jobs, that it's incredibly hard, almost impossible for most people, I think, not to um, try and, and take them home, you know. It, it's incredible, which is why we need the transition time. But I'm hearing, I'm hearing a, a story of a, a, a very talented, uh, high-achieving young man who's clearly going places, but right now he's in a bad place. There's a sense of unfairness of being put upon, of. Um, yeah, like uh, injustice almost, if that's not too strong a word. No, I think that's a brilliant word. And yes, I think so. Um, now, as I said, this was like for me a brilliant example of the stuff we're talking about today. So here we are right in the middle of, of uh, uh, the first out of three stories like major storylines we might tell ourselves that I'm going to be describing today. So this goes back to the work of the, these coaches I mentioned, uh, Mancusi and Dandy, right? Mm -hmm. And what I was hearing was a lot of symptoms of the idea of, um, like you said, feeling hard done by, feeling that life is just something that happens to you, you have no control over it, people are just doing stuff to you and you just have to survive, right? Yeah. This is a, so the question I asked, the, uh, and I, I knew him well enough to do this, I said, so the person inside you that is talking right now, uh, tell me a little bit about this person. Uh, and, and he just blurted out and he went, well, this person is not very mature, that's for sure. <laughs> And we had a good laugh. And we were like, yeah. And I said, so how old is this person? And he looked at me and he went, 10. <laughs> so this sense of being childlike when we're in that state. Yes. Yeah. And as a matter of fact, the work of these coaches would actually take you to, a, a, which is like the deepest end of this work, and actually say that, yes, as we are children, we develop patterns, we develop stories that we bring into adulthood. Yeah. And this story is actually pretty childish. So you're saying, I don't, I don't understand how I can get along with this person. That's not a grown-up CEO speaking, right? That's quite a childish person. But it, it's relatable, isn't it? Because uh, you're also describing a state of vulnerability. Um, yes. So it's relatable to, to go childlike because that's how it is, isn't it, for so many children? And here we are in the world of grown-ups, trying to do grown-up work. Mm. And then yet, as we get overwhelmed, as we get stressed out, as life actually offers too many challenges sometimes, very many of us, we hold ourselves together, we pull ourselves together, together, we deliver for ever so long, and then finally we can't take it anymore and we kind of fall apart. And as we go into that mode, this is what Mancusi and Dandy would call the victim story. Okay, so they, they, it does have a, a label. Right. Mm -hmm. So, and if we label this the victim story, yes, everything you heard is absolutely spot on. As a coach, what I would be listening for are signals of um, childish language, even. It's unfair. Mm. Um, black and white picturing. I won't ever be able to. They always get. I never get. Right? Exaggerations. Things um, that are always um, actually uh, propelling ourselves, actually, often into a more escalated emotional state, mm. right? So if I was feeling sorry for myself, if I say, you know, I never get to go out mm. on weekends, he always gets to go out and have fun, I'm actually going to feel more sorry for myself. You're giving me a sense of um, if, if this was an arm wrestle within the, the mind and psyche of such a person with rational and emotional, 
we're saying that in that arm wrestle, it becomes no contest, like uh, emotional yes. sl slam dunks, the, the rational, because we <laughs> right. go emotional and, as you say, very reactive in a way. Very reactive, yeah. right? Yeah. And yes, as we know that, that, you know, if you had to choose between saying that the human ground natural state is rational or irrational, of course, the irrational actually wins. And this, this person I had come through my door yesterday, yes, deep in the grip of deep irrational emotions and kind of in a way lost at sea. So uh, what actually helped us identify how, what was going on was me going, how old is this person? Yeah. And talk to me from this person. So this is a story he's making up in his life, right? But it's a very believable and understandable story because he's going through a hard time. Yeah which I would argue so many people are doing right now in the corporations around Very the world. relatable. Very relatable. Okay, so just so we're talking, this is the victim story, this particular state. Yes. Yeah. Um, if I could challenge you to, to uh, is it pushing you to go, can we go to the second one? The, uh, which I'm guessing the, the ladies, the Mancusi and uh, Denny, they've given it a label too? Oh, or? absolutely. And um, um, if I explain a little bit first, so the victim mode is when we're childlike, you know, if you ask, what does the victim voice in us actually want? What does this person want? Does he want to be told what to do and told to pull himself together? No, he wants to sit on someone's lap and get comfort. He wants someone to take the, the pain away. He wants to, you know, it's a, like, so, you know, if you're feeling like a child, then you also desire to be treated like a child, you, to be protected nearly. This, this uh, in, the, in the work of, of uh, Mancusi and Dandi, this works in very, very close relationship with the second storyline, the second mm -hmm. personality that we often find in people. And yes, I have so definitely found this also in this person I'm talking about now. As a matter of fact, prior to this session yesterday, nearly every other session I've had with this person has been in the second type of storyline, which is called the overcomer. Okay. Story. Mm -hmm. Say more. So the overcomer story, if you can imagine, now we're kind of, we've made ourselves grow up. We've pulled ourselves together, but it's fed from the victim state. Mm -hmm. So this is not a grown up who's going, yay, life is cool and I can do whatever I want. This is a grown up who's like hard done by and doing things through gritted teeth, but just having to carry on. But it's a heavy load. Okay. Can you recognize that? Is it fair to say that are they, are they functioning a little bit more effectively than someone stuck Ooh. in a victim story? Yes. It sounds like they're functioning more relatively. I would actually say yes, absolutely. Productivity, if mm. you look at it from a corporate point of view, productivity is pretty probably way higher. As a matter of fact, we can get to that. The idea of the overcomer energy is a very classical kind of burnout profile energy. Right. Right. Because this type of overcomer, this type of I'm going to pull myself together. Are you listening to the more vulnerable sides of yourself? No, you're not doing that anymore. As a matter of fact, I would say the overcomer doesn't like the victim voice very much. Can you recognize that? Yeah, yeah it makes sense. And this I can really recognize in dialogue too, that if I'm in the overcomer, if I'm going, okay, Saul, so we're pretty much exhausted here, but we have to do this, pull yourself together. If you were to go, I don't want to, <laughs> you know. I would probably snap at you or ask you to grow up, right? Mm. So the overcomer energy is still feeding from the victim narrative, but it's a different type of story. It's a no, different it, type of story. It makes sense. So these might be people in, in everyday life or even, dare I suggest, colleagues. They're not exactly doing cartwheels into, the, into work in the morning. 
They, you know, it's a heavy lift. They're, yes. they're, they're not light on their feet. There's a weight on their shoulders, but they are functioning. They are turning up. They're, they're there, but actually inside is a very different story ticking away. Isn't that the truth? Can you, can you recognize it? It's very... So as we get into the victim and the overcomer, like it's nearly like they're landscapes. So what are you hearing when you're hearing the overcomer? You're hearing, you know, life is hard, but I can push on. I've got more in me. I can deliver. Uh, very often they're very conscientious and yeah. they, you know, and they will. So um, someone said to me the other day, most coaches you meet are actually overcomers and they're overcomer stories. And the reason for that is because they're constantly working on developing themselves. So the overcomer probably wouldn't ask anyone else for help because they're going to manage on their own. Now, mm. as we look at these two narratives, let's also be uh, uh, observe the fact that, of course, both of them have light sides and they have shadow sides. Right? Makes sense. So the lighter functions of the victim is actually what happened with this guy yesterday because he was allowed, the way our conversation rolled out, he was allowed to ventilate. I was able to sit down with him and kind of go, you know what? I get that. I get that this is pretty hard. And he was allowed to ventilate some real unobservable stress, which had been a little bit too much for him. The dark side of the victim is, of course, martyr energy. And mm -hmm. we all know this one. Mm -hmm. When people weaponize their pain, <laughs> right? That's a great phrase. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and when people kind of go, uh, uh, you, you know, right, so I never get to do this and you always yeah, get to yeah. do that. It's, it's the opposite of connection. It's like, it's an isolator, actually. Yeah. It, turns, it, it, um, it turns to a very dark emotional place where you're actually pretty lonely and you can't connect. So as a leader now, if you're observing someone being in the victim mode, if you're a wise leader, you'll try to get to the ventilation. And once you kind of pop that, uh, pop that, burst that bubble, very often you just have to kind of sit down and go for it. Just to offer a, a thought, though, just listening to you here, I'm talking about the overcomers here. It's, it sounds like it's probably today a very heavily populated um, part of the world. And even if they existed in a place, it's because um, you know, you and I both know, don't we? Corporations these days, um, a lot of busy teams, uh, very busy teams, a lot of tasks, so-called, and usually not enough time to do them. Should we say comfortably? So it's this old pressure of time and task equals something's going to go uh, wrong in inverted commas, and then you get the overcomer because, as you say, they will do the heavy lifting, they will do their job, but it, it's really tough. It's really tough. And at the end of yeah. the day, they go home and they and they probably just are overworked and stressed out. And like we always say, they're like in a headless chicken state. Mm. And I would argue, yes, and more so than ever in the world that we're living in right now, because what, are, what do we have behind us? As a global population, we've had two years of actually everyone being in the victim state, right? What was it called? It was called COVID-19. Mm. It, made, it made a whole world turn into like victims and kind of go, oh, what's going on? And we've all had such different experiences of that. Everything through from great stories of, of survival to, to kind of dire stories of, of uh, heartache and pain and even loss of loved ones, right? But it's left most of us in a pretty weird and vulnerable state. We've gone through something. And then what? 24th of February last year, right? The Ukraine happens. There's war on yeah. the European continent. And uh, like uh, another unease hits us. And I'm not even mentioning the climate crisis. Yeah. So around us now, we have all of these different stories. They are stories that are rolling out. And they are creating, I think, a lot of unease and a lot of overcomer energy in a lot of us. If you were a leader 
and you were recognizing overcome type behaviors. Is there any kind of um, teasing, trailing type advice that you want to sort of float uh, for now? Uh, one of the places to go straight away, if you're, if you're listening. So this is part of how we can make this a skill set, I think, because as a leader, listening to the story that you think the other person is telling themselves about their life. Right. That's a new level of listening, perhaps, hopefully, for someone out there. Gotcha. Yeah. And listening to the signals of the overcomer, like I said uh, a couple of minutes ago, it's actually a very typical kind of uh, danger zone for burnout. Yeah. The and, and what should any leader be frightened of or any employer be frightened of, of course, because when we go into burnout, recovery is so super hard and it's difficult to get back and everything. Final thought on that, if I may, is an observation. I'm thinking about being a leader where you're maybe picking up some of these signals. I think perhaps incredibly hard to deal with that in an in emotionally intelligent, yeah. super effective way. Because I think I mentioned this earlier on, didn't I? We're all part of each other's story. <laughs> so for the leader, if you are actually leading the team and you've got some overcomers in there, it's incredibly hard, isn't it, to be that man or woman saying, well, actually, I'm part of that story. I could be part of the problem. That is well put. That takes put. a lot of courage, right? That is well put. And I think, uh, so you're, yeah. if we make it a skill set, I think one of the major places to go to is to role model. Yeah. So if you find yourself in the overcomer state as a leader, just remember, danger sign, danger sign, beware, beware, right? Because if you are actually leading from a place of overcomer, no one in your team is going to dare to open up and say that things are too hard or, you know, they're going to grit their teeth. And off you go. So, but mm -hmm. I was mentioning earlier. So you have the light uh, functions and the dark functions of the victim, right? As I said, the light functions being connection and daring to open up and being vulnerable. The darker functions to do with martyr communication and weaponizing our pain. As we get to the overcomer material, the lighter side of overcomer is, of course, pretty huge. It's got a huge upside. And uh, I've actually said this in many a uh, conversation in the last few months as I've been learning this material. I would argue that a lot of Ergo Ego's uh, story throughout the 23 years that we have existed has actually come from overcomer energy. <laughs> there's a lot of like, we're just going to pull through and do this, right? And there's a lot of brilliant energy in that. And there's a lot of yeah. creativity and there's a lot of daring to go outside the box or whatever it is that we've done. The darker functions of of uh, uh, overcomer, I've already mentioned them, is of course a burnout, uh, like doing too much. And the darker sides of the overcomer story can actually be pretty dark and dismal because it's about uh, um, uh, life or death in a way. Because if people keep just pushing themselves beyond their own boundaries and never listen to their inner voice. So there's a huge topic out there at the moment, which is about self-kindness and self-care in mm. the world of organizations and corporations. And I think that's a, a bit of an antidote. It's a bit of a medicine against the overcomer, the darker sides of the overcomer. Um, mm. Sounds to me like we should definitely take a, a closer look at some point. So if I can just make you imagine like a figure of eight, you can imagine that the overcomer and the victim, they live in a close relationship together and they go back and forth in a bit of a figure eight. And for a lot of the people I meet, this leader I met yesterday included, you know, you go overcomer, 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 pull yourself together, pull yourself together. And then, ooh, we've gotten to the point where it doesn't work anymore. I'm going to collapse into victim. And then you cry, 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 sob your eyes out. And then you do get no, because no one's taking care of you, you pull yourself together and you go back to the overcomer. So it's a bit like a 
right? And on they go. They live in mm -hmm. a close relationship with each other, the victim and the overcomer. Um, so I've got victim and uh, overcome. I've got that right, yeah? Victim and overcome. And there's yes, a third. Overcomer. Overcomer, yes. excuse me. Overcomer. Oh, no, victim and overcomer. There's a third. Um, so what what are we going to say about the third, uh, the third version, according right. to these uh, lovely ladies? The third type of story is the story that is there when you manage to burst that dynamic and get out of it. And it is the potential great story, which is actually always there, right? So even in the situation where this leader finds themselves pretty overwhelmed, actually, and for real and observable reasons, you know, there's no reason to be light about what, what's happening to this young guy that I spoke mm. to yesterday. But in the middle of it all, there's a potential for a phenomenal story in terms of him learning the stuff he needs to learn about himself in order to, and that's what we actually ended up discussing yesterday. If he's going to be an executive top leader for the long term, he needs to learn to deal with this dynamic. Yeah. Right? And he needs to snap out of the, the figure eight and he needs to find the possibility of joy, the possibility of, uh, of uh, um, being silly, of being, you know, the wild potential that is in every possible day we actually face as human beings. Yeah. So at the core of it, of course, lies the pretty grand idea that we all make up our lives as we go along. So Gu how does that land with you when I say that? Guilty. Guilty. <laughs> Guilty as charged. He's making it up as he goes along. Yep. Oh, um, I'm in the club too. I'm in the club too. <laughs> it has been yes. said of me many times. Um, I, I get almost like tangibly this sense of victim and overcomer. It's very real, very relatable. Could you illuminate just a little bit more for strugglers like me, the great story? Yes, let's go there. Absolutely. And in order to do that, I'm going to skip uh, stories now and I'm going to go to my own life and I'm going to tell you a story from uh, my not so recent past, actually, because it's a story from when my kids were a little bit smaller. So the scenario goes like this. I'm on my way home from the airport. I'm dangling my suitcase behind me. I've, I know that I'm tired. I know I've had a long day of like a very uh, intense workshop behind me. I know in a way, as I cross the courtyard where I live in Oslo in Norway, that as I go into my flat and meet my husband and my two kids, I know what the evening's going to be like. I'm going to be tired. I'm going to be pretty overworked. I'm going to try and shield myself from too much interaction because I need time on my own. I need to recover. I'm like if we use our language now, I'm finding myself like rolling my suitcase across the courtyard, definitely in a victim mode, right? Famously, this evening, as I hold the doorknob of going into my flat, I, I think to myself, and this is a horrible thought, I think, what if these people were my customers? Mm -hmm. And it's a terribly sad thought that brings us to the point where very many of us actually pull ourselves together when it turns, when it's customer facing. And then we get home at night and we, we should be allowed to be ourselves somewhere, right? And this is the Hannah I'm about to unfold on, on my poor family. It's a true story. I actually managed to, you know, and I'm such a communication geek, I kind of go, okay, what if these people were my customers? I go into the flat and within minutes... I found my husband and my kids have kind of gathered in the doorway and they're looking at me going, what's going on? She's weird. She's different. You know? <laughs> because I come in the door and I'm like, I don't know what I did, but I was like, 
hi, you know, and I, my heart, my heart was filled with joy from seeing them. And I had a positive energy around the dinner. And I listened curiously to the stories that my kids told me. And I, and I actually found myself having a completely different night. Isn't that depressing? <laughs> I don't know whether about that, but it sounds super interesting because maybe for another day, moods and atmospheres is something that yes. you've reminded me of here. Yes. And actually how we can shift our own. So here I am shifting my own reality, right? In the split second of thinking, what if these people were my customers? So of course, do I manage to do that every night? Do I manage to pull myself out of the victim every day when I roll my... No, I don't. And you can ask my kids about that. But in the meantime, this particular evening carried with it the whole full joyous potential of actually spending, you know, let's say I don't get an unlimited amount of time with my husband and my kids. No, none of us get that. How can you maximize and get the joy and get the juice out of every possible situation that you're actually in? So the part of the great I'm hearing from you is there's this elevated, almost like an elevated heightened state of uh, energy, but it's actually a bright energy. It's a brighter energy it's a and it's connected and it's the potential of being part of something larger. Like rising above something yes. and embracing bigger things. Yes. And, and you know, over, so in a way, um, getting out of the, of the, of the circle of, of the, of the figure of eight, right? Getting out of that, getting to the uh, freedom of looking at any situation without the burden of the past, because that's what we do the whole time. As I'm rolling across that courtyard, I am thinking to myself, you know, I'm so tired. I'm so overwhelmed. I need to relax. Mum needs to her time out, you know. And all of that is going to take me to uh, actually a pretty pitiful evening. And within a split second, I managed to switch that just through that little experiment of thinking they were my clients. Fantastic. So the potential of the great story. Why would that be important for a leader in a company, for instance? Now... If you listen to the state that I'm in as I go through my evening, actually the interesting thing is I was much more energized and I recovered much more easily from my tiredness because I wasn't telling myself the story of being tired. Now you translate that into productivity of a team and you know, you have gold here. So the idea of coming out of, you know, sometimes a whole team can tell themselves that they're tired and they'll be just so tired right? And the idea of actually finding the potential for, I don't know, how tired are we really? Or mm. what if we just do something completely different for half an hour and recover? You're also giving me a sense of, on the great story, especially um, individual and collective, almost like responsibility, that we, we all have an opportunity individually and as a team, as a group of colleagues to, if I may say, snap out of it. Oh, ain't that the truth? And yeah. in this material, it's part of why we need to make three three uh, chapters out of this podcast, yeah. because if we explore that idea that, you know, I have to take responsibility for my own life, I create my own stories as I go along, then as a team, how can we collectively take responsibility for the stories we're telling ourselves? So this is actually, this should actually increase um, not only productivity, I hope, but even team joy, <laughs> you know, as we go into it. And if we talk about the potential of any company, even in this day and age, even with all the uncertainty going on in so many ways in our life, you can, you can hear the power, if we manage to snap out of this dynamic, the power of the potential that is actually there to do something new and fresh and to meet the... So assuming we all make up our own stories as we go along, because that's actually what, what's at the core of this. It's interesting, isn't it? Then what is the potential story of the 
maximizing the potential that is in any day. And now I sound like sound like one of those mm. very tiresome people going, be the best version of yourself. And that's not what I mean. But the juicy potential, the three-dimensional, observable, that that like great story that can be there. It it makes me uncomfortably aware of uh, the challenges that sometimes have come my way on, on that figure of eight and how easy it is to slip into to victim mode. I, I recognize it. And it's, it's, as I say, I think I have this sense when I sort of dwell on parts of my life of this, this rather alarming realization that you are just part of a huge, much grander design than your own humble little life on planet Earth. Uh, and that it's this incredible, almost like Harry Potter sort of staircases moving and intersecting and you see people coming up and down and sometimes slipping and it, it, it feels like that. It's that chaotic, right? So I would say, yeah, making sense of the chaos. Um, and if, if you're asking me directly, no. <laughs> I mean, you know some of it, but you don't know all of it. I, I you know, I'm one of the, I don't get it right every time for sure. Mm. And I wish I did, but um, there's definitely some really good things that we can uh, explore here. Not, not just for, you know, coaching Saul, but for, for um, many, many people, I hope. I think I'd like to say to the listener out there, don't worry, Ergo Ego is not going religious on you. <laughs> This is about actually finding the skill set in here. And I just to, to apply it to um, like some very classical situations that we're facing this winter, a lot of our clients are facing downsizing yeah. and they're facing having to uh, uh, stand in front of audiences and give pretty difficult messages. And the audience analysis, once you have this language, becomes, you know, it becomes twofold because in, in one sense you can go, how is the audience feeling? And so many of us out there these days are feeling worried and unstable and off balance. And, and then lo and behold, comes a downsizing and a reorg in my company. Now what? You know, there's no end to the victim state. If I look at like Q&As in, in all hands meetings in some of the companies that I work in now, people are really allowing themselves to go to a pretty, pardon my French, shitty place, right? In terms of going, when will we have the right to do this? Or why don't you do this? To, you know, and it's a, so it's a place of actually also externalizing responsibility, yeah. So this is important stuff, I think, for leaders to to. I think it's a language that that you're uh, turning seems your to mind towards how we use this. Uh, yes. If if I call it some kind of like you know superpower or heightened awareness, <laughs> putting it more soberly. Remembering, listening into is the person in front of me in the victim mode, in the overcomer mode, or actually in are they experiencing a great story where they're maximizing the potential of, of what's going on with them? Gotcha. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you so much.